the Accidental Engineer. Welcome all, Max of the Accidental Engineer here. Today we are rejoined by Itamar Turner-Traring. Welcome Itamar. Hi, great to be here. So unlike last time, you now have uh, a book out. Uh, it's called You Can Negotiate a Three-Day Weekend. Uh, one of, I think, most any human's uh, interests on this planet Earth is to figure out <laughs> how to get more free time. So for our audience that are curious about your book and, and what it might educate software engineers about, do you mind sharing a little bit? Sure. Um, so basically, this started out with I had RSI, I couldn't type very much, um, and uh, my wife and I had a baby. And so I uh, we decided I would work part-time and take care of our kid part-time. Uh, and she was working full-time. And then doing consulting and eventually ended up as an employee working, I think initially 28 hours a week. And then it was time to move on to another job. And so I, I didn't want to go to full-time. And so I ended up negotiating a shorter work week at another job. And I negotiated a shorter work week at another job. And, you know, I, I've ended up you know talking to lots of people who've done this, uh, programmers specifically, and it seems like saying again, as you said, lots of people want more free time and there are companies that will offer you a shorter work week, but they're very few and uh, hard to find and they don't necessarily have a lot of positions. And so if you want to have only work four days a week, uh, the easiest way to do that is just negotiate it um, either at your current job and, or if you must at a new job. And since I basically figured out by trial and error and then research how to do this. I figured I'd write a book and teach people uh, to do what I did because uh, it, I mean, it's not easy, but it's very definitely not impossible. A lot of people have done it. For sure. I, we should also take a moment to plug that you also are at codewithoutrules.com uh, as well as your new uh, initiative called pythonspeed.com. Yep. Um, for uh, the broader audience that are interested in the contents of your book, uh, you've told me employment is a negotiated relationship. <laughs> and I, I was wondering if you could elaborate for our audience on just what negotiating means. So negotiation is like people have sometimes this idea of negotiation of this uh, sort of antagonistic, like you're saying, no, we're going to do this this way or shouting at each other, whatever. And to be fair, I have done this, but I've done it once in my life and I've not ever done it in the context <laughs> of a job. I was trying to get out of military conscription and that involved in some sense showing I was a bad soldier. Uh, and so making that being antagonistic was actually reasonable. But in, in the context of a job, or you know, you're when you're dealing with a manager, or you're you're trying to get hired. Like these are people you work with. Like these are people you collaborate with. And so, negotiation isn't this isn't a fight. It's basically getting what you want in a way that you you can't magically get what you want. So you need to figure out how to get what you want, and that's what negotiation negotiation comes down to. And so part of it is sort of understanding what the the, the problem is and what the other person wants. And part of it is having alternatives. Uh, so you have a stronger, more like stronger position, the ability to walk away if you need to. Uh, and, but fundamentally it's basically about 
problem solving and in order to achieve your own goals. And so that's a negotiation is and employment is a negotiated relationship because like you're basically trading something, right? You're trading your efforts and time, your work for money. Uh, if, if you went to work and you were told uh, in the morning that you're not getting paid anymore, right? You're not going to hang around very long. Like you're going to start working on your resume and emailing people and seeing what's available because that's why you have your job. You have your job to get paid. You're trading your, you want one thing, which is money uh, and time. Uh, and your employer wants other things. They want you to, to make an effort and they want you to be there and they want you to do it at your work. There are companies out there, uh, startups are often notorious for this, where they their ideal employee would work 24 hours a day and get paid nothing. From my personal perspective, it'd be great if someone gave me a million dollars to do nothing. I don't think that's going to happen though. And so <laughs> we have to meet in the middle. <laughs> that's why it's negotiated. One key point here is you can't not negotiate. Even if you've never had the idea of negotiating, if you never try to negotiate, you're still negotiating, you're just negotiating badly because you're not actively trying to ensure that you get what your goals are. So this isn't something you can opt out of on any level. Like it, You're always negotiating. Every time your manager asks you to do something, you're negotiating. Every time you send out your resume to a new job, that's part of a negotiation. And so it's very important to be aware of it Otherwise, you're just going to do it badly. So maybe we can zoom in on a specific part of the career life cycle that requires negotiating. And, and perhaps we could uh, apply some of the content of your book to that circumstance. Maybe like you just mentioned, the job seeking portion and sending out the resumes. Where, where, does, where does that uh, negotiating or how does that negotiating differ from other parts of maybe your career life cycle, like negotiating a raise or, uh, negotiating, uh, how long you, you and your manager think something should take that kind of thing. Once you're on a job, once you're an employee, once you've been there for six months, you are massively more valuable. Uh, you know, like who, like you have this map of like, who knows what in the business, so I talk to this person about this, I talk to that person about that. You know the code base, uh, you understand the business domain somewhat, you know the libraries, the technologies uh, your employer uses. So once you've been someplace for quite a while, you have a lot more uh, leverage because even if they, you could be replaced with someone uh, who not only has the same skill level, there's all this organization-specific knowledge that just takes a while to replace. Like if you start a new job, it can be up to six months before you're fully productive. So Itamar, so, are you recommending we negotiate at six months on the job? <laughs> uh, well, so for specifically for negotiating a three-day weekend, it's it's much easier um, at your current job. Um, raises are, are a little tricky, uh, actually, at your current job. Um, there seem like there's companies often are uh, reluctant to give large raises to existing employees. Um, but for, if you want to negotiate a three-day weekend, it's much easier your existing job. You know, stepping back to the broader picture of like, how does a job search uh, differ from on the job, when you're applying for a, a completely new job, like if, if, it's, if you don't have anyone who can introduce you and say, yeah, Max is a great guy, um, then... They don't know who you are, right? You're you're just some stranger uh, who sent them a PDF. 
you can you can get a lot further if you actually understand why you're valuable as a software engineer as an employee and then you make sure to convey that in your resume and your cover letter or during the interview and sometimes it's very uh, simple changes for example to your resume can make you seem or can make clear how much how valuable you are compared to someone else and make a big difference in your ability to uh, get a high salary or negotiate uh, on un- more unusual terms like a shorter work week. And, and so the process of negotiation starts with how you present yourself, uh, how you explain your skills. And it happens long, like you might think of, of the negotiation as the part where you're like, they say, here's how much money we're going to offer you. And you say, I want more. But the negotiation starts long before that. It starts when you decide which companies to apply for because you know you have relevant skills uh, or you're, you or you know you're enthusiastic about what they do and you'll be able to convey that enthusiasm. And it's also about how you convey your skills. So to give an example of conveying your skills, you can imagine uh, software engineering skills, uh, the overall goal of writing software is to solve a problem. Uh, you need to... Like in my, I've been uh, working on gene sequencing or you know you're doing... Uh, financial planning like someone has the software has some sort of goal the software itself is not has no it's it's all about why you wrote the software and you can imagine uh like this career progression of when you start out like to solve a problem you need to identify the problem like why are we doing this what what why do we need to do anything at all and then you need to come up with a solution and you need to implement it and the actual career trajectory of skills for software engineers goes in the reverse direction. So you start out, you're a junior software engineer. Someone's already figured out the problem. Someone's already figured out the solution. That is telling you, write this function or write this, like here's an exact spec, go and implement it. Mm-hmm. You get better and then you can learn how to, people give you problems and you come up with solutions. So they say, like, we really need this bug fixed or we need this feature and then you go and figure out how to do it. And then finally, um, you get to the point where you identify problems, where you say, oh, we're, we've been you know, building 10 versions of the same feature, maybe we can build a framework. Or, oh, like our development process is slowing us down a lot. Or, oh, customers have been complaining about this issue and I've realized it's because of this, this problem in the design of our user experience. Uh, and the, if you reach the point in your career where you can identify problems, you're hugely valuable as an employee but you need to actually make sure a potential employer knows that. Um, So you can say in your resume, uh, you know, I switched us from, you know, using virtual machines that were each each one's set up as custom set up and I switched us over to Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. That's what you basically said is you've solved the problem. But you can also say, and in this case, I think this is based on a real example. So uh, this isn't not just this is a what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also say I identified that having custom set up virtual machines was expensive and in scale, and so I investigated alternatives, decided that Kubernetes is the best alternative. I learned how to use Kubernetes, and then I ported things over to Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. And so what you've said, you've gone from. I solved the problem to identify the problem. And so even though you're, you have like in both, this is the same person, their skill hasn't changed, but it's much clearer uh, why 
this is someone you want to hire, it's because they won't just, you know, assume that their environment is ideal. They will notice problems and try to improve them. Uh, so so it's, it's a big step up from having skills colon Kubernetes yes. on your resume. <laughs> yes, so that is, you need to have that, uh, for, especially for large companies, because uh, the initial process, you might go through a HR recruiter who, are, who have a checklist and technologies. So you might, you, you do, it's useful to have like a list of technologies somewhere near the top of your resume where it's visible, but a list of technologies is not a good way to make yourself valuable. You need to actually explain you know, what you did, the context, the business impact of what you did uh, yeah. in your resume and when you interview and so on. And so this is all part of negotiation is negotiation is sort of explaining your skills and why you're valuable. These types of keyword strict matching of resumes are are kind of this institutionalized <laughs> filter uh, or structure that's in place to you know protect against you know complete uh, frauds getting the job I guess <laughs> and or or really to save and protect uh, interviewers time who are yeah. internal employees who the business is legitimately trying to protect their time from interviewing people who might not know Kubernetes for sure. Um, yeah. Um, one of the, one of the institutional, not filters, I guess, but policies that I, that we struck upon earlier that I was wondering if you could speak to is how there are greater institutional company level protections around giving somebody more money in terms of negotiating on salary then there are institutional protections about, you know, allowing employees a three-day weekend, like you write about. What are what's kind of the institutional pushback that um, our audience might get if they were to walk in to the office today and ask their manager for a three-day weekend? Uh, so there's a bunch of worries people have. Uh... Like, will you get all your work done? Uh, how will you communicate well with other people? Basically, how will you get your job done? Will other people want this? Are, are you still, uh, I think a big one is probably, are you still committed to this job? Uh, they won't necessarily say that, but it'll go through their head. Definitely. Uh, will you work long? If there's an emergency, are you actually going to keep working? Mm -hmm. And so you, you want, when you uh, make this pitch, is you want to start with, like, keep... Since you know they're going to be worrying about these things, you want to address them preemptively. Um, and so, and there, there's all these worries, but like the baseline is they're going to say no because they have no motivation to say yes. So before you get to the worry, like, so there's the worries you have to overcome, but you also need something that will actually motivate them to say yes. And so the implicit, and you, you probably don't want to say this, uh, but implicitly, the the reason they're going to say yes uh, is that they don't want to lose you as an employee mm -hmm. because you are basically saying, my current situation isn't working for me. Here's a way that would improve things. And you don't have to say it, but implied is, you probably don't want to, implied is, and if you don't do this, I might leave. Uh, and... You can, if a first pass doesn't work, you can uh, make this a lot more explicit by, for example, getting another job offer for a bunch more money. Mm -hmm. All right, then you can say, 
you know, I've been here and you start out with like explaining how valuable you are. Uh, so you talk about, you know, you've enjoyed working here and here are all the great things I've done. Like I've made this faster. Like I built out that feed, that product everyone loves and so on. I'm, you know, I really enjoy working here. I want to keep doing it, but I, you know, I, for, you know, I want to spend more time with my kid, uh, or I want to, uh, I enjoy writing software and I want to be able to just write software for fun and I don't have time for it. Um, this is a good one because uh, you're, I mean, you shouldn't be lying, but this is a, <laughs> you, you want to, uh, whatever reason you give, it should be a reason that uh, shows that you are uh, committed, uh, responsible, uh, so on, like you're you know, really committed to your family and you're also really committed to your job or you're going to be, you know, improving your programming skills. You provide a lot of value, but you're not happy. And so here's a solution, uh, which is working four days a week. And here are some ways we can make this work. So I know we have our weekly planning meeting on Mondays, so I'll make sure to work on Mondays. Uh, and, you know, if there's an emergency, obviously I'll, I'll work longer as, as, as I've done in the past. Uh, and you can sort of preemptively uh, address these sort of worries by showing you're committed, showing that this isn't you wanting to slack off, that you have a you know culturally appropriate reason, even if you don't really like. I don't think you should act. You have to have a reason to, to want to work less, but uh, you, you want to sound good. Um, in in and, the U.S., we. The, the job market of software engineering is dominated by, you know, salaried, uh, full-time internal employee types of roles. And one of the job responsibilities that is often um, asked of full-time employees is to be on call virtually 24-7 as you're not, uh, you know, clocking in, clocking out. You don't have an hourly rate. You don't have an overtime rate. Is there, do you have any recommendations about how to formalize that relationship when you're a full-time employee? I mean, there are, there are rotations that employees can be on, but in, in the, the land of web software these days, people want to, you know, people can look at their phone at any time of the day, any day of the week, and uptime is a, is a business concern. When, when teams might not have reached critical mass, like let's say one of our audience members joins a startup. And maybe they're one of five engineers. Um, what what are what are reasonable ways to set expectations when you're maybe negotiating for the job or you're on the job and you're realizing, wow, they're expecting me to you know SSH into a server on a Saturday at eleven p.m. Uh, what what are some ways that uh, employees at software companies today can formalize or, or better protect their time outside of maybe the four-day work week that they've negotiated. Yeah, I mean, and this is an issue for people who are working five days a week too. Like it's not. Oh like, yeah. And, no. and in some sense it's a, like in some sense it's a prerequisite. Like if you can't protect your time as a full-time employee, you're not going to be able to protect your time with a shorter work week. So there's no, you shouldn't Definitely. even. Definitely. So the starting point is like, how do you set boundaries? And part of it is there are organizations you should network for. Uh, so, for example, 
some companies treat on-call as just a way to extract more labor from their workers. So if, you know, there are are software companies where they ship features too quickly, they don't test them, um, they just, it's all about velocity and so everything is broken. And instead of trying to prevent things from being broken, their solution is to say, okay, people will be on-call and when things, as things break, because they're always going to be broken, then uh, you know whoever's on call has to fix it. And basically, what they're saying is, we want you to work longer hours because we're managing this project badly. And basically, you, you don't. There's not much you can do in this situation as an employee. As a manager, you can change the way the organization works. But if you know, if you're getting called multiple times a week on on call, if like you and if on call means an extra ten hours of work every week, and on call doesn't mean rare emergencies, and when an emergency happens, you have post mortem to prevent it. Like it's not really on call; it's more just you're being forced to work longer hours, and you just should avoid working for that organization. So, uh, if if an organization doesn't have a formal on call policy. What are what are some concrete proposals that uh, our audience can bring to their management about uh, formalizing and setting boundaries around expectations of maybe what qualifies as a as an on call event or uh, how to ration the on call uh, scheduling? Are there are there tools you recommend or are there uh, uh, just process best practices that you'd recommend that our audience can take to, you know, their management. Cause I, I think this is a lot more common of an issue that this isn't an established policy, especially when you're negotiating the job, especially at uh, maybe smaller companies where there isn't an established uh, DevOps company or DevOps team. So yeah, best practices around process or, or um, so- concrete proposals to bring to management about, setting those expectations? So I'm not, this is not something I've done. Uh, I don't, so I don't have a, so I I don't have, I'm not an expert on setting up uh, how on-call works. Uh, So I I may not be the best person to talk about it, but I mean, part of your interview process should be trying to figure out what sort of hours that people work and how projects are managed and what constitutes an emergency and how often they happen. If everything is an emergency, nothing is an emergency. And you you can, during your job interview, you can sort of tell uh, by, if you asked like, you know, what's a typical day like? How do you, you know, what, what drives your uh, deadlines? Like, are there, music. are there bags under your interviewee's <laughs> eyes? <laughs> You know, those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah, um, definitely, yeah, paying attention um, to you know, how people interact. Uh, and so, yes, it, you, you can, I, I'm sure that there are best practices, like a, a I mean, you, you can, as a starting point, say, after, you know, is there a postmortem after every on-call event? If the answer is no, then you, no one's trying to prevent that. Mm-hmm. So no one considers it to be a cost. Uh, 
you can during the interview process ask about you know is on call do you have an on call process how does it work things like that uh, but th there's also even in in, in system in, in jobs that aren't about keeping a system going twenty four seven you will there are organizations that will uh, you know, through either deliberate policy or through uh, mismanagement, pressure people to work long hours. And so you can imagine, uh, let's say, three kinds of managers. Um, and one group of managers realize that working long hours is unproductive. Like they don't want you to do it because they know that people who work long hours get more tired, are less productive, total output drops, people make mistakes. Like if you're working 80 hours a week, you're going to produce much less than someone who's working 40 hours a week with the same skill set because you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are managers who realize this. And so just starting from that point, they will, uh, if you work for that kind of manager, they will just make sure that you don't have this issue. Mm -hmm. And if you can find those managers, that's great. I've, I've had them. Uh, and then there's another group of managers who don't really understand how to measure the output of a software team. And so the only thing they care about is how many hours you've worked. And there's basically nothing you can do with this group of managers because their starting point is fundamentally wrong. They think if people are in the office longer, we'll get more done, which is the app. <laughs> Probably if you're in the office 30 hours, you'll get more done than if you're in the office 10 hours. But if you're in the office 80 hours, you are not going to get more done than someone, people who are in the office 40 hours. Like you are going to just write really bad code that's full of bugs and it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So since they're, the only thing they care about is how many hours you, a perception of work, uh, how many hours you're, you're in the office or online, there's nothing you can do with these managers and basically you just want to avoid them because you can't reason with them. Mm -hmm. So one group is great, one group is just a boy, and there's a group of people in the middle, and they're not. There's a whole bunch of managers who don't quite realize uh, that working long hours is counterproductive, but they can at least know how to judge people's output reasonably, and so they don't really. If you work sixty hour weeks or eighty hour weeks, they won't stop you, but you can also work a forty hour week. And they'll be happy so long as you're producing, you know, doing whatever you need to do. And since someone who's working 40 hours a week will do just as well, if not better, than someone who's working long hours, well, these managers, it's more like you you, you can set boundaries. Uh, and as long as you're getting your job done, which you will if you actually value your time, uh, and they're not setting ridiculous, not asking you to do something impossible, with these managers, you, 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 if you set the right boundaries, you, you can have them a manager and still not work long hours. A lot of the, the time constraints that maybe these butts and seats measuring hours <laughs> uh, type of managers are the constraints that these managers are under to deliver under timetables or timeframes. Maybe for our audience that hasn't been on the software engineering side or have only worked at one or two employers with a certain set of uh, uh, industry or customer type of customer, uh, 
why, why, where do these time constraints arise from in software development? And, and uh, oftentimes they're, they're artificial. They're, yes. We got to get this in, done in Q1 uh, or else what? <laughs> Who knows? But uh, yeah, wh- what are, where, where is the time pressure in software engineering arising from? And how, how can someone who's reporting to a uh, uh, rational manager point out or, or better understand where these time constraints come from? Uh, that drive the their managers to ask them to work, you know, more hours a day versus uh, maybe outcome based uh, management. So we were talking earlier about having sort of different levels of software engineering scale, like just being able to implement solutions, uh, solving problems, and identifying problems. So a big part of uh, getting to the point where you can identify problems is seeing the big picture and asking questions and trying to understand the goals of what you're working on. Uh, so, you know, when someone comes with you with a deadline, like you, the way you find out is you ask, like you say, you know, why, like, why do we, you know, what, what, it, and you don't want to do it in like a, this is a stupid idea. Why the hell are we doing this? Like you want to sort of <laughs> listen to their request. Uh, even if you think it's, a bad idea like you you want to listen because there there's a reason someone is asking you to do something and you should respect their respect that um and so you know why are we doing this uh who asked for that like i you know i see there's a deadline like how do how do we arrive at this deadline uh and you, you will often so you, you it might so some, like in a small company like the CEO or CTO might stop by your desk and ask you to do something, and it's very easy to think that because they're the CTO or CEO, like they they want you like and they ask you to do something like, you know, this is the most important thing ever. But what they may have intended is just hey, if you have some time, this is a thing that would be nice to have, mm-hmm. and if you don't ask, you won't know. But if if you dig a bit deeper, you might find out that, you know, this is something they were sort of curious about. And if you say, I know I have this critical bug I'm already working on, uh, they'll say, oh yeah, it's fine. Maybe next week. Right. And so if you don't ask, I'll never know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or you might find out that the, you know, your manager asks you to implement some feature. And the, the reason there's a really tight deadline is because, uh, there's a big demo for a potential customer, and if it's a if it's a demo for a big customer, and that doesn't necessarily mean people are actually be using the feature for you know weeks or months later. And so, by finding all the information, you can sort of dig down to what is the actual for demonstration purposes. How much of this feature has to be done? Like maybe we can, you know. Maybe half the work is some obscure edge cases that aren't relevant, uh, except they'd be relevant in production, but they're not relevant for the demo next week. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you'll find that the deadline was based on someone in a meeting coming up with a random estimate of how long it'll take. And if you say, well, actually, that maybe you shouldn't say, well, actually, you can say, uh, <laughs> Bad phrase, I shouldn't say. That. Uh, <laughs> you'll say, "Oh, uh, so I'm. I, I think it's a bit more complicated than that because 
we also have to change a database and we're having that problem, you know, about the database upgrade. So we're kind of bottlenecked on that. And so uh, can you, can we change, like, is it fine if it's like a month later? And they might say yes. Or, you know, another thing that can happen is once you dig down into why in the motive, not just the deadlines, but the motivations, like why is someone wanting to do this? You, you, you'll eventually identify with the problem. Like people usually come to you with a solution and half of the problem. And if you, you need to dig deeper to figure out what the problem is. And if you figure out what the problem is, sometimes you can come up with a different solution that's simpler or faster. Uh, and so you can meet the deadline by implementing things a different way. So a lot of this is just when work is discussed, not presuming what you were asked to do as this request that can't be modified as, you know, this is what must be done, but treating it as a starting point for a conversation, digging deeper, uh, trying to understand the motivation, trying to understand the goals, identifying the underlying problem, identifying the drivers for the, identifying the drivers for the deadline and trying to solve their problem while meeting all your other goals. And sometimes you will end up saying, you know, I'm really sorry, but we also need to do this really important bug fix that's bug fix that's impacting our customers. You know, which of these like do you want me to stop working on the bug fix? And they might say yes, they might say no, but you're forcing them to make a choice. And so this is basically a sort of a form of negotiation that you will find yourself doing on just an ongoing basis as an employee. And it's worth noting that in this case, part of the, your goal in this negotiation is to make sure you're not working long hours, but just as much of it is to advance your employer's goals. Like you're trying to make sure you're working on the most important thing that you're implementing the best, like the, the feature that actually meets the requirements, not just, uh, you know, the first pass someone randomly came up with, but you're making sure you're hitting your deadlines. So this is a negotiation that in large part is just about being a good employee uh, and advancing your employer's goals. Uh, so I, negotiation is just about you. It's about meeting everyone's needs. Definitely. I'd, I'd only add that people generally enjoy feeling listened to. And what a lot of what I think our audience might interpret as just being disagreeable and questioning the decision-making of management can really be reframed as just demonstrating that you're you're engaged and listening and the more you can understand their baseline motivations for asking you uh, or and then occasionally interrupting you in a in a other task that you've been working on uh, and they approach you about um, pe people really appreciate feeling listened to and i i can speak to the personal experience of just Coworkers who may, might not come to you with a direct request, but might uh, <laughs> reach out to you and say hello or yo or whatever on on work instant message, and what they're really waiting for is your attention. And and if somebody really has a demand on you, they'll they'll come up to you, they'll ask you. And this is this is kind of the appeal of butts and seats is that you are physically interruptible. They can, they can walk up to you, they can tap you on the shoulder. And um, one, of, one of the real benefits to being physically in the office that 
when you when you do go in for your four day work week and go home for your three day weekend is you're making yourself available to to listen um, and you can signal your listening better in person than maybe over uh, audio only or, or webcam type uh, communication so uh, it's it's helpful to remember why people go into offices even in 2019 <laughs> yeah face-to-face uh, -face bandwidth communi communication is a lot higher yeah and yeah the the first step in any like w when someone comes and asks you to do something the first step is not to say no i won't do it because i have more important work and you don't you definitely don't want to say yes i'll go do that unless i mean sometimes it's like saying trivial and you just go yes but if it's like a big <laughs> project uh, you don't want to say yes the first thing to do and you don't want to say why is the first thing the first thing to do is to, yes is to listen and say just demonstrate that you actually care about their request and try to get as much information as you can from their initial request. And then once you, you've been, you've respectfully listened and, and, and it doesn't matter, like it's your manager or the intern, like once you've understood, you respectfully listened, understood why that you're being asked to do this or understood their initial explanation, then you can start digging into it deeper. But, yeah, you start with listening and then you move on to some collaborative problem solving. Uh, and even if you end up doing the exact same task you requested, you will have a much better understanding of why you're doing it, which means it's much easier to make trade-offs or choose what to implement first. Uh, you should always implement the most important part first. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. And so on. So before we wrap the episode, I'd like to give Itamar another opportunity to uh, describe where our audience can find his book, new book, You Can Negotiate a Three-Day Weekend. Uh, Itamar, how, how can our audience find your book? Uh, if you go to codewithoutrules.com uh, slash three as a numeral, uh, so number three, day weekend, or if you go to codewithoutrules.com, uh, there's a link on the sidebar or on a mobile phone at the bottom. And we'll uh, include a, a link in the show notes. Well, Ismar, thank you for coming on. No, thanks for having me. For more, visit us on iTunes or our website at theaccidentalengineer.com.